Last week we started a brand new series of messages called Regifted. And uh, this series called Regifted is talking about some of those gifts that are worth regifting to others. But as we get started this morning, let me ask you, have you ever gotten a gift from someone that you just kind of figured was a regift? It wasn't all that hot and you just kind of knew without them saying it, this is a total regift, right? Like, uh, I, I feel sorry for some of you who have January birthdays because you're the ones who get all the regifts from Christmas, right? They, you know, they, I think about those food baskets, you know, those food baskets that we're given from our employers that we really don't want, but we kind of hang on to them a little while. Hope they don't go rancid until we can give them to someone else, right? Maybe you've gotten one of those and you've opened up the cellophane wrapping and you open up one of the packages and you're like, whoa, this is rancid. They held on to this regift a little bit too long, right? Or I'm going to go on a mini tirade here. Who is it that keeps manufacturing these men's Christmas sweaters? Because that is just... That is just the dumbest idea I think that's ever come across. You know, I, I wish we could get a message to, to people and just say, just stop making them because we're not going to wear them. They're going to end up, you, you know, our spouse may make us wear them for that one day, but they, we promise you it will be a regift as soon as possible, right? Now, th- there aren't too many cardinal rules to regifting, but those are two of them. And here's, here's another one if it's got your name on it, don't regift it, right? If it's engraved, it stays. You're, you're stuck with it, right? And if there's a book that someone's given you, let some experience here. Make sure that someone hasn't written this really nice personal note to you inside at the book because they felt like this was a book that was going to be meaningful to you because when you re-gift that to someone else and they find the note, oh, bad news. Our, our foster daughter, Maria, a few years ago, she received a gift from a church friend. It was a book, and she thought this was a really nice book until she looked a few pages in, and she found that this friend's mother had written this really nice personal note to her two years ago saying how much she knew she was going to enjoy reading this book, right? So, yeah, just a few things to keep in mind. But let me just also say that this regifting idea, it's really not all that bad. I mean, it has a bad reputation, but really, I don't, I don't think it should. I mean, another man's, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? And you know, it, it's recycling. I mean, that, that nasty green candle that you don't want, somebody, is, it's going to be green for someone else. They're going to appreciate the fact that you're re-gifting it. Uh, so keep that in mind. Now, re-gifting, it can be a gamble, if, but it, ha- it just has to be done carefully and well. And through this series, what we're finding is that some of the safest and best things that you can re-gift are the gifts that God gives you. Last week we talked about re-gifting the gift of presence and how um, just as God gifts us with His presence in times when we're truly in need, that we can re-gift God's presence by being present in the lives of others who are hurting or who are suffering. Now today we're going to be talking about a really powerful potential re-gift, but a really hard one, and that is re-gifting forgiveness. I think personally, that forgiveness is one of the hardest things to re-gift. I don't know about you. What do you think? It's way harder than re-gifting that ugly Christmas sweater. I wish that were harder to re-gift. It's hard sometimes to re-gift forgiveness because it comes at such a great personal cost. Someone has really perhaps hurt you or hurt hurt someone you love. And the last thing that you want to do is forgive them for it. You know, I bet if I ask you to, this morning to raise, I'm not going to, but if, I bet if I ask you to raise your hands and if you were totally honest, I bet most of you would say that there is someone in your life somewhere that it's really hard for you to forgive right now. Maybe, maybe generally you are a forgiving person. Maybe you're not the kind of person who holds grudges for the most part. 
But what he said, what she did that time, it, it, was, it was so hurtful. Or that person has just redone that so many times and hurt you so many times in the same way that really you just don't want to forgive them. You don't even see the point in forgiving them, right? And at Christmas time, it can be especially hard because sometimes those people that we're trying to avoid all year long that we have a hard time forgiving are the people who show up back in our lives at family gatherings and at other situations. For me, I remember as a kid at Christmas time how awkward Christmas was with our family because uh, there was a point when I was a young boy that two of my aunts just really got into a fight one day. And I'm not talking about fight like they said some things they regretted. I mean, this was a fight. This was fist-punching, hair-pulled, blood-drawn, cat fight kind of a fight between these two aunts of mine. I mean, it was nasty. It was so nasty that for every Christmas from that day on, we had to do what I call the Christmas dance in our family. Where, okay, every, each you know, each. each each household had to figure out, okay, when does this ant come and when do they leave so that the other ant can come and they never cross paths with each other. And we did this for years. Some of you perhaps have situations like that even in your own, in your own lives or your own families. And you think, this is so crazy. Why are we even doing this? But these situations, as a result of a lack of forgiveness, they can last a lifetime. This, this situation in my family, it's been over 30 years now. And these two women have still not talked to each other. And we continue to do the Christmas dance every single year. It reminds me of Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter series. Any Harry Potter fans in here? Lord Voldemort, there was a, play, there was a time when, when someone said to him, Master, forgive me, forgive us all. And he began to laugh and he raised his hand to punish this creature. And he said, you ask for forgiveness? I do not forgive. I do not forget. We see Voldemort and we know that he's a bad guy, but how easy is it for us to have just a little bit of Voldemort in each one of us? And we carry that around. I do not forgive. Not that, not that time, not that person, no way. And I don't forget. We say that we can't forgive or they don't deserve forgiveness or there's no point because they're just going to do it again anyway. And whether we realize it or not, we set conditions to forgiveness. And we forget that as followers of Jesus, we really don't have a choice in the matter, do we? We forgive. In fact, we we forgive much because we have been forgiven of so much more. Now let me just say this morning, there's a good crowd here, and I'm, I recognize in a crowd this size that there'll be some of you who are here today, and you may not be a follower of Jesus yet. You may not be a Christian. And let me just say, if, if that's you today, I'm primarily not speaking to you. I'm speaking to all the others in the room who are followers of Christ. Um, I'm speaking to these expectations that are from God to us, who have surrendered our lives to Him. But the principles that I'm going to be sharing this morning around forgiveness, they, they can still apply to you. And I bet, even if you don't follow Christ right now in your own life, you can listen to these principles and just know that God has given us these principles to make our lives better. And they're worth following, even if you're at a place right now where you're not ready to follow God. So let's take a look at a place in Scripture where Jesus talks about regifting forgiveness. And this, is, this, is a, this story I'm telling you this morning 
it's, I know it's going to make some of you pretty uncomfortable. And I'm just going to kind of lay that out up front. This is, this is a very hard story to see once you really dig into it. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. If you, again, if you don't have your scriptures with you, um, pull out your smartphone, your tablet. That's fine with me. Go to gracetucson.org slash Bible. You can follow along with the scriptures as well, some interactive sermon notes there. And while you're turning there, let me just take a moment to pray. Because I, I just, I've had this sense in the first service, and I do again, that God's just going God's gonna to really speak to some of you this morning, and I want to open that door. Lord, this message I'm about to give is going to be very hard for us, for some of us especially. Very sobering. God, I just pray that you would minister to the parts of our hearts that are secret, those parts that we don't like to talk about and that we don't think need to be ministered to. Lord, I ask this morning as I unpack your word from Matthew 18, that you would flash before our eyes those people, those situations that have hurt us, those situations that are on your heart this morning that you want us to deal with. Lord, some of these things are things that we have stuffed, we have pushed away, we have ignored, we've pretended isn't there for a long time. And God, I pray that you'll just rip that off this morning and help us to see what you're saying. Help us to see that we have, we have to give much because we have been given so much more from you. Lord, set us free today. Set us free from that unforgiveness that some of us carry that is just a, a heavy, heavy weight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at this story together. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And I just want to encourage you to listen very carefully to these words. Um, If it means following along with the words as I read them or on the screen, feel free. Or if you just need to close your eyes to truly soak this in, do so and just put yourself in a place where you can truly hear from God this morning. Matthew 18. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And then listen to this story Jesus tells him. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Mm. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king... He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he said, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, 
I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? And, and this, this is the hard part. This is the part that you wish were just erased. Verse 35. Let me do verse 34. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus throws verse 35 at us. That's why my heavenly Father will do to you. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Let me set the stage for you here. So Jesus has been teaching. If you look a little bit further up in this Matthew 18 passage, you'll see that Jesus is teaching his disciples about how important it is to go after those who are straying from the faith and help leading them back. Lead them back. And he's also talking to them about correcting those who have done wrong. And Peter's listening to all this, and he's no doubt thinking about situations in his own life, and he's thinking about some forgiveness issues perhaps in his life, and he says, okay, wait, wait, Jesus. You're talking about, you're talking about correcting those who have done wrong and, and leading those back who have strayed from the faith, but what about the forgiveness part about this whole thing? How far does that have to go? Now, maybe, maybe at this point in Peter's life, maybe he's got a person or two that he's been struggling at getting, being able to grant forgiveness to himself. Maybe he's been hurt by a person or two over and over and over again, and he's starting to keep track of how many times he's forgiven that person. And he's like, how many more times? He's thinking, am I going to have to forgive this person? So he approaches this in a very spiritual manner before, before Jesus. He, he pro- he's not really sharing a whole lot about what he's thinking and what he's feeling, but he says, Jesus... How many times should I forgive? No doubt as he's thinking about this person or two in his life. Seven times good? How about seven times? Now, as you read this passage, let me just share this with you. As you read this passage, maybe you've never heard this, but as I've done some, some, some study and research on this passage, I came across this little nugget of truth that really kind of unpacks this for us. And that is this. Back in that day, and I think this is why Peter's saying, asking seven times in particular. It's because back in that day, Jewish rabbis taught their people that they, it was okay to forgive three times. But only three times. Did you know this? It was kind of like a three strikes you're out policy that they had back then in Jewish circles. And they taught this in the temple. One rabbi in Jesus' day actually had this to say as he taught people. He said, if a man commits an offense once, forgive him. If he commits an offense a second time, then you should forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they should forgive him. But if they do it a fourth time, they don't have to forgive. There was another rabbi in that same time period that said this. He taught this. He who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. Now, you might hear this and think, well, David, that's odd. Where did that come from? Well... Actually, it came from Jewish rabbis over a a few centuries who were looking back at a part of the book of Amos in the Old Testament of all places. And these rabbis over time had started to interpret or read into the book of Amos something that wasn't really there. And what they saw was that in the book of Amos, there's this story of how God is forgiving the enemies of Israel for how they have treated Israel. And we, we see this story where God forgives Israel's enemies. And then it's followed by a second story where God forgives Israel's enemies. And then a third story where God forgives his, Israel's enemies. And then there's a fourth story where God brings judgment on Israel's enemies. And these rabbis say, aha, well, if it was good for God, then it's good for us. Well, let's just not go for it any more than three times. 
After the fourth time, we'll just write them off. And this was a theology that they had created back in that day. So Peter is being all spiritual in this moment. He's like, you know, Jesus, seven is the number of completion, right? I'm sure that's what he's thinking. So what if I double the number three times? What if I do seven times? And he's probably thinking, oh man, Jesus is going to think I'm, I'm a really good person. You know, I'm going way above and beyond. And Jesus just completely messes up the whole thing. He is seven times. And I mean, it's, you could just, I, I could just see Peter's face in this moment. He just like, what? Are you kidding me? 70 times seven? Now, some of you are hearing this and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, I have to forgive that bozo 490 times. But number 491, and trust me, I'm keeping track. I'm, they're gone. I'm, I'm writing them off. That's it. And obviously, that's not what Jesus is saying, right? I mean, when you listen to this story that Jesus unpacks for Peter and for those who were listening at that time, when he says 70 times 7, it's clear. He's not talking about 490 times. He's talking about unlimited number of times. Now, the New Living Translation version, New Living version of this uh, passage, which I read from, it says here that this man owed the king millions of dollars. But if, if some of you may have different translations of the Bible that you're looking at, and it says 10,000 talents, do any of you, does it say that in your translation? In the footnotes of the New Living, it actually says more properly translated 10,000 talents. That's the actual translation. But most people who are reading this don't know what a 10,000 talents are. So it just kind of interprets it as millions of dollars. Now, let me explain to you why this is significant. 10,000 talents back in that day was the equivalent of 375 tons of silver. That's how much this dude owed, this king. How in the world is he going to ever repay that? Now, 10,000 talents, the Greek word that was, Jesus was using here was the word murion. And basically, the reason I'm sharing that with you is the word murion, that, or 10,000 talents, that was the biggest number they had, the biggest word they had for any number. It's like for us, what, what would it be? Like quintillion or something? I mean, how big of a number have, have we come up with in the English language? Maybe quintillion? I don't know what it is. But I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's taking the biggest word that they have, and he's saying, that's, that's how much this guy owed. In other words, he's saying... Um, the guy owed like a bajillion dollars to this guy. That's what basically what Jesus is saying here. Way too big to, to count, to keep up with, and certainly way too big to ever repay. And then, as, as this story, as this story un, it unfolds further, then Jesus throws another curve into the story. He, he says that this guy, no sooner had he left the king's presence after being forgiven of a gajillion dollars, that he finds this other servant nearby who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, I'm sure you probably don't know what denarii. Denarii was a form of payment also. And a denarii was the equivalent of one day's wage back then. And so when it says that this guy uh, was owed a hundred denarii, it was basically like three or four months of salary. And this guy runs into this fellow servant. And no, just after being forgiven this humongous debt, Jesus says he won't forgive him of this small one. And he demands, choking him by the neck, demands that he repay him. And the king is so shocked by this that he changes his mind and he forces him to repay a debt that he'll never, ever be able to repay. Now, some of you, as I'm sharing this story, I know 
This is making you a little uncomfortable. I know that because I know as I have been praying for you, God has been sharing with me that there are going to be people here today that where this, this story and this, this, this big idea I'm bringing up today is going to bring up some old wounds, some old pain, some, some unresolved hurt and anger. And everything in you just wants to kind of take what I'm saying and go, and just kind of stuff it. And it's easy to look at this passage and say, well, Jesus was known for just kind of sharing these stories that were so big that it was impossible to deal with. And I'm sure this is just one of them. Not really. If you must know, this principle that Jesus is teaching here, it is all over Scripture. I tell you, some of the other scriptures about this are even more uncomfortable than this one. I mean, take a look at Matthew 5 sometime. Or, or Matthew 6. Matthew 6, it says, if you don't forgive, then God won't forgive you. Or how about Ephesians 4? Forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The one that messes with me the most as I think about this is James 2. James chapter 2 is really hard. It says, the, the judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. This is hard. This is a hard one to wrestle with. And some people have looked at some of these verses and taken them to mean that this means that if you can't forgive, that you don't have an eternal future, that you don't have a place in heaven. There are some who have taught that. I don't personally believe that. I think that's a stretch from Scripture because what I see very clearly throughout Scripture is Jesus plus nothing. Scripture says that we are saved through grace, by faith in Christ, and that Christ alone. There is no Jesus plus anything. It's, it's salvation through Christ, through our personal faith in Him, and that's it. But I will say that to also say it's quite sobering, I think, that God is saying our unwillingness to forgive others is a reflection of whether we truly have received the forgiveness of Christ in the first place. Think about that. Is the gospel to you just a bunch of theological truths? Or has it gone from your head to your heart? We forgive much because we have been forgiven of so much more. And the God who created us asked us to forgive people of some crazy difficult things. Because he says, I have forgiven you of way, way more than that. You and I, we're the guy who owes a gajillion dollars. In other words, our sins are piled high over the course of our lives. And the Bible says we are incapable of paying that debt back. We're incapable of paying back the debt of just one of those sins. And when we let it sink in just how much God has forgiven us through the course of our lives, we have to re-gift forgiveness. I mean, we just have to. I mean, there's no other option, is there? Let me ask you this morning, what does it mean to forgive? Let me tell you, forgiveness means to release something, to, to let it go. It doesn't just mean to say, okay, 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 I, I forgive you, fine. It means to literally tell your heart, you will let this go. 
It's not to just resist revenge, but it's to seek reconciliation. It's to press into it. And scripture says, as far as it depends on you, reconcile with your brother, even if it's not your fault. Now, let me also say to some of you who are kind of smarting from this, forgiveness is not the absence of anger. It doesn't mean that justice can't be done. We're called as Christians to do justice, Micah 6.8 says. But we can't, listen, we can't base our forgiveness on that. We can't say, well, unless they get what's coming to them, then I, I'm going to wait until that happens and then I'll forgive them. <laughs> no. I personally wish, to just to be honest with you, I wish at least God would have said, forgive unless they behave like they're not truly sorry and then don't worry about it. That would make it a lot easier for me. But he didn't say that. Neither did Jesus wait for you and I to get it when he came to earth and died for you and I. And you know what? I know you're not going to like this either. Sorry, I'm just, but I'm going to say it. Forgiveness is not usually a one-time event. It's not. Some of you know this. With most people, especially, especially those closest to us, it's 70 times 7. It's over and over and over again of the same stuff that hurts you over and over again. And it's like, no, I can't do it again. I cannot do it again. And God says, yes, you can and yes, you will. Because I have forgiven you of so much more. 1 Corinthians 13 says that forgiveness looks like keeping no record of wrongs. So those of you who wanted to tally up to 490, can't do it. You know, at Christmas time, we're reminded of this concept of forgiveness. That God devised a huge and painful plan to be able to truly grant forgiveness to us far beyond what we deserve. It was prophesied in Jeremiah 31 that one would come to save us of our sins. And it was explained uh, to Mary's soon-to-be husband, Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1. So, we forgive, not because we feel like it, or not even because they deserve it. We forgive because God expects it of us. But you also need to forgive because the alternative to forgiveness is bitterness. And that's way more harmful to you than it ever is to them. Hebrews chapter 12 warns us of this. It talks about how forgiveness is toxic. It's, It's poisonous. And I'm sure you've heard the research over the last few years. I won't go into it now. But I, I, I've seen it in the last few years from Johns Hopkins, from Stanford University, from Mayo Clinic and other places where they're saying how unforgiveness just wreaks havoc on the human body, physically and emotionally. If you haven't, if you haven't been reading some of this stuff that's been coming out of medical research lately, just try Googling Stanford Forgiveness Project sometime soon. And you'd be amazed at what we're, what we're discovering these days. Or, again, in your online sermon notes today, I've given you a couple of articles about some of this research that's coming out that just shows us. Even if, even if you don't feel like you des- they, some person deserves forgiveness, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, that stuff, that unforgiveness that you kind of keep stuffing down and just pretending it isn't there, it is toxic. And it literally eats away at us from the inside out. We can deny it all we want. We can say, oh, no, no, I'm handling it just fine. 
Scripture would say otherwise, and so would medical research. Okay, so here's where I'm going with this this morning, and here's the tough question I need to ask you. Who is it in your life today that God is showing you that you really haven't forgiven? Who is that person that every time they come into your mind, it's all you can do to just get them back out of your mind again? Because you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to deal with that person. You don't want to deal with what they did. I mean, what they did, I, I get it, I get it. They, they, it hurts. It hurts to even think about it. What they did is un- unconscionable. It's just, it's just wrong. I, I understand it. But we can't get away from what Jesus said here. And we can't get away from everything else the New Testament has to say about this. So who is it? Who is that person that you're struggling with? Is it a coworker? Is it a boss? Someone who stabbed you in the back to get that promotion that you totally deserved? Is it, is it a parent who did something that you just feel like you, you just can't forgive? Maybe, maybe it's a person in your life group and you, you show up every week to your small group and you're hanging out with them and everything's and you're like, I hope they don't show up this week. Maybe it's, maybe it's a spouse. So, you know, sometimes the hardest people to forgive are those who are the very closest to us. Isn't that true? You know, I bet there are, as you're thinking about that person, I, I bet, I bet there's so much that you would have to forgive them for. I get that. But do you get how much more God has forgiven you for? Do you forget that God has forgiven you a debt that you will never in this life ever be able to repay. I'll close with this. In a few weeks, there's a small team of people from Grace that's going to be going to Uganda to do some mission work there. And we're rallying around them, providing them some of the supplies they need to give to the people there and praying over them, uh, praying with them as they prepare to go. But a while back, I picked up a book that was written by a Ugandan man called Tombstones and Banana Trees. It's quite a powerful book, I tell you. It's, it's a good read. You may not have heard of it. It's definitely worth a read. You can actually find, get a link to it in your online sermon notes today at gracetucson.org slash Bible. Check it out there. But in it, it tells the story of the, the forgiveness that this man needed to offer to some people, that it, and it just seemed almost impossible to grant. Take a look at this. I was born in a banana plantation. My father beat my mother and hated her for producing more girls than boys. And one day he abandoned us and moved away with his five other wives and their children. He left us by the roadside with nothing. And uh, we lived in poverty, barely existing. And people hated us. And one day they had my elder sister murdered. And after failing to kill myself, I remember I vowed to kill every one of them. And I became a walking civil war, very frustrated, uh, very depressed, until Jesus arrested me. He challenged me, where is your security? Where is your love? Why can you not forgive? And I knew I would die unless I forgave anyone who had wounded me. And so I did, 
I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and publicly I confessed my sins. I remember I visited every one of those 19 people on my list, confessing my wrong and asking for their forgiveness and offering mine. And this is my story since then. I have told it many, many, many times, and many, many people have decided to follow Jesus Christ and offer forgiveness to their enemies. I would like you to read my story, Tombstones and Banana Trees. It is a story of pain, a hope, and a revolutionary power of forgiveness. This Christmas, we can choose to hold on to the pains and the wounds and the hurts of our past that others have committed, as big as they might be. We can choose to do the Christmas dance every year and find ways to avoid those people who have hurt us because what they have done seems to be unforgivable to us. Or we can choose to obey our king. We can choose to re-gift forgiveness. Not because they deserve it, but because our king, because the one that we worship this Christmas season has forgiven us of so much more than that. This morning, on the front of your program, you'll notice there are a couple of sticky notes there. I've given you these, as I did last week, as a reminder for you this coming week. I, this one, these say, who needs some forgiveness regifted today? I want to encourage you to take those home with you and stick them somewhere around this week where you will constantly see them. Because I believe that as you continue to see these, God's going to continue to do a work in your heart and soften your heart. God can't soften your heart if you keep blocking God out and saying, I'm not dealing with that. But I encourage you to just put these around and allow God to begin to soften your heart and to prepare you to be able to come to a place of offering, genuinely offering forgiveness to those people that it's so hard to forgive. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know, I know this morning that this message has been very uncomfortable for, a people, for some people in this room. Though I don't know specific situations, Lord, I've just been feeling this strong impression from you over the last few days that this sermon was going to be really hard for some people to hear. God, I thank you that in your love and kindness to us that you don't hold back hard words. That you don't dance around things, but you go directly to the root and you, you challenge us to deal with them. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are here who are struggling with forgiveness. Lord, that you would set us free today. God, I pray that we would just feel that break this morning and we would be able to let it go. Lord, we know that forgiveness isn't just an emotion. It's a decision. It's a conscious decision we have to make. And sometimes the emotions have to follow after the decision has been made. For some of us, Lord, we're just not emotionally there. But Lord, what, you're, what we're realizing today is that we can still make the decision to say, I'm done. Enough. I'm not carrying this anymore. God, give us the courage to not only forgive, but to seek out reconciliation. To be ministers of reconciliation as your scriptures command us to do. 
Help us, Lord, to take the first step, to not be the one with the arms folded saying, well, I'll forgive them when they show it. I'll forgive them when they make the first move. No, Lord, I know what you're asking of us, and I pray that you would help us to be the one who makes the first move, even if we don't think there's anything that we've done wrong that needs to be forgiven. Lord, I also want to pray for those in this room because I know this is true. I just know God's speaking to some of you today and the person that you're having the hardest time forgiving is yourself. Maybe there was a situation in your past where you hurt someone and you know you hurt someone really deeply. And you keep replaying that. Every time you see that person, every time you think about that person, all you can think about is the pain you caused. And it causes you to pull away and to beat yourself up. And the Lord is saying to you this morning, as you're sitting in this chair, let it go. I've forgiven you. I expect you to forgive yourself. It's the command that Jesus has of us as well. God, I pray that you would help us, some of us in this room, to do that. To truly forgive ourselves. So that we too can be free from the pain that these things can bring. God, I pray that as we walk out of this place today, that we will be a couple of hundred people set free from the hurts and pains and woundedness of our past because you have set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.